I think definitely for me, uh, and I think this is true for most, if not all people, um, that the first step is definitely that self-love, Kimmy, and I know you'll appreciate me saying that and, and I know you'll agree with me saying that because, you know, when I tried to fix the problem without having the self-love, then that led to just beating myself up. You know, that led to a lot of, uh, you know, critical analysis of self, self-loathing, self-sabotage, you know, all of those sort of things because I just wasn't in a place to to come to those solutions from a balanced perspective, you know, and to see the problem from a balanced perspective. Um, and so the, the first step was definitely that self-love. You know, it was about um, having the, having essentially having the same empathy for myself that I had for others. Um, and that sounds so ridiculous. You know, it sounds like, like of course you would have, but, but I didn't. And, and I think many people don't. Um, and, you know, it's always easier to see someone else's life and to see their challenges and to see, you know, what they've had to overcome and why they're in the situation they're in and, you know, all of those ex, you know, extenuating factors that led them to end up where they are. Um, but it's often harder to see that for yourself and we often judge ourselves much more harshly. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to this week's self-love podcast. I'm super excited to share with you one of my dear friends and someone I'm sure some of you will be very familiar with, Dr. Brett Hill. Now, this special soul is the host of some of Australia's top-rated health podcast. He is one of the initial founders of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys podcast. He's a resilience mentor, functional nutrition coach, chiropractor, public speaker, and author of numerous books and eBooks his latest being Rock Bottom. He also regularly appears on TV. He writes articles. He has many different media appearances. He's a great coach and has a consulting business. And he has inspired literally thousands of people to live a long, happy, healthy life full of energy and vitality. Although he went through his own rock bottom through his divorce, he is now remarried and the father of three amazing, beautiful children. He has a string of entrepreneurial pursuits and life challenges along the way that he has beautifully and profoundly achieved. He brings a unique perspective to health and mindset challenges. And with his amazing communication skills and his beautiful emotional vulnerability, I think you'll find today's podcast is a must for every special man in your life. We all know someone who's been through tough times. We also know that for men, it's not always easy to speak out or speak up. Now, I say that generally, of course, but I hope that through this podcast that the beautiful souls, the beautiful men in our world get to understand there is a way to get out of rock bottom and truly use it as the platform to launch yourself into a new, amazing, profound life, maybe one that you never thought possible. Beautiful Brett has his latest book, as I said, Rock Bottom. And if you're keen and if you love this podcast, then depending on your amazing comment that you place onto my Facebook page, that's Kim Morrison Training, or my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28, then I have a beautiful copy of Rock Bottom to give away to one of your special souls in your life. So make sure you place a comment and give Brett some feedback on today's podcast, and then he will pick a beautiful soul to win a copy of his book. 
lock yourselves in. This is an incredible podcast and something that I really am passionate about sharing. Not only am I really into the love and self-love of all of us women out there, but I know that those of you who know me will appreciate how much I respect, adore, and appreciate the self-love for our men. Take care and enjoy the show. So you beautiful, gorgeous soul, Dr. Brett Hill, you can tell by the intro how much of a, not only a precious soul you are, but a, you know one of the dearest and most precious of friends. We've known each other for a very long time and we've walked an incredible path together. But I'd like to just say to you, first and foremost, what an absolute honor and privilege it is to have you now on my show, The Self Love Podcast. Welcome, Brett. Oh, thank you, Kimmy. It's an honor and a privilege to be on your show, Kimmy. I feel very special. And, uh, and yes, the, the love is fully returned, Kimmy. I, uh, I don't think I'd be sitting here doing what I'm doing without you, Kimmy. So um, you've been a massive influence on my life and I'm uh, very grateful for you and I'm very grateful for this opportunity as well. Oh, well, you know, let's let's get stuck into this. Before <laughs> we talk about who you are, your background, and for those that maybe don't know much about you, what is your definition of self-love? Oh, Kimmy. Um, <laughs> Jesus, how long have you got? That's a, <laughs> that's a massive question. You know, I, I think my definition of self-love is just when I am happy with who I am. You know, I'm happy to just be me and do me, um, and that's all I need. Yeah. And when you say doing you, does that mean warts and all, the good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the awesome, the extraordinary? Talk to me a little bit about why it's important to you to understand that whole person. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've done the opposite in my life and realized that it sucks. (laughs) You know, so, um, you know, trying to be good all the time, trying to be nice all the time, trying to be right all the time, trying to please everybody all the time. Um, is exhausting, you know, and, and ultimately um, led me, I think, to my rock bottom. You know, that the, there was kind of a side to myself and there was a side to my life that I'd tried to sort of push down and avoid and, and always be nice and light and happy and, you know, positive and all those sort of things. And, um, and ultimately, you know, you can only push it down for so long and, and eventually it comes back to bite you. So, um, you know, I, I think the that uh, the will to do that, the desire to do that and to, and to see and to love both sides comes from not doing it and realising how bad that worked out um, and that there had to be a better way, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely about loving all sides of myself and acknowledging all sides of myself and, you know, not expecting myself to be perfect, uh, you know, not expecting myself to be good all the time or nice all the time. Um, and it's also about accepting, um, well, it's about it's about being true to me, you know. It's about... Uh, living my life uh, the way that I want to live my life, not because of other people's expectations or pressures or society or social media or, you know, any of those things. So um, that I think is once again also really important to me um, and really um, I guess comes as a result of once again, you know, not always doing that. Um, And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day and saying, you know, the, the difference between me, um, living my life wanting to please other people and me living my life just being me and wanting to do me, the, the actual actions that I take, I don't think are very different. Um, but the intent behind those actions is just massively different. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? And uh, Can I be so bold and ask how old you are? I'm 
well, I'm 40. Uh, it depends when this episode goes live. <laughs> I know, I know. As you ask me, I'm 40 and very, very shortly I'll be 41. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing because for many of us, this takes a journey. It's a lifetime of work. It's a constant work in progress. And depending on our circumstance, upbringing, beliefs, values, meaning that we put into the world, determines how long we get to this place. And I dare say the older we get, the more wise we become. Would that be something you'd agree with? Or do you think you could get this at 15? Oh, I definitely think it's possible to get it at 15. Um, you know, I'm I'm all for possibilities. I think everything's possible. Um, and, you know, and I also think it's, uh, you know, it's a journey, not a destination. So, you know, I think you'll, you'll discover more and more nuance about that um, as you, not necessarily as you age, as you experience the world. You know, I mean, some people have, you know, 80 years worth of life experience in their first 15 years. You know, other people have one year of life experience in their first 50 years, you know. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of different factors that come into that. So, you know, I don't think we need to put any limitations on that, but I also think we need to, um, you know, have an understanding that once again, it is a, a journey, not a destination, and that it's a process and it will constantly change and evolve as we get older you know I I look at me as an example of that and I think you know for the first 35-ish years of my life you know I I think I lived quite a sheltered life to be perfectly honest and you know I look back at stuff I was you know teaching and helping people with in my early 30s and um, you know I think that really it was quite naive you know that there was a there was a lot of uh, growth and development and empathy and knowledge and pain and and things that I needed to experience in order to be wiser um, in terms of who I am. And then I look at, you know, in the space of probably 12 months, you know, I probably had an exponential leap in all of those areas um, as a result of the circumstances I found myself in. So, you know, I don't think it's age dependent. I don't think it's time dependent. Um, It may be experience dependent. um, But even then, I think it's much more about your your perception of your experiences and your willingness to do the work on your experiences and to, you know, analyse your experiences and all those sort of things that, that probably ultimately makes the biggest difference. So, yeah, I don't think, I think age is a simplistic way to think about it. Yeah, beautiful answer. Speaking of age and time and everything, just give us a little bit of a history as to your upbringing for those first 35 years then, just so that we can get an insight as to why you felt you led quite a naive, kind of pretty blissful life in many respects. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I do, I consider myself pretty lucky. You know, I had two great parents who were both, um, you know, pretty grounded, both come from the country, um, you know, brought us up with pretty, I think, you know, holistic family values. Um, you know, we were well looked after, we were always loved, um, you know, went, had a good education, went to a good school. Um, you know, I, they encouraged me to pursue what I wanted to pursue. You know, I was, um, you know, academically, I was good. I always did well at school Um, and so, you know, I guess outside of my immediate family, there were kind of expectations on me that I would become probably a medical doctor. It would be probably the number one thing Um, and yet my parents sort of said, well, you want to be a chiropractor? That's cool. You know, we support you. Um, So, you know, I I studied, I became, did a health science degree. I studied, became a chiropractor. Um, I got married. I started my own practice. I wrote magazines I read for newspapers I wrote a book you know uh, on the, on the surface everything was going great you know so I I felt like you know it was like you know in the checklist of my life you know and I think from a really young age I kind of had a checklist of like what was going to happen at what age and in what order and um, not necessarily consciously but certainly I think subconsciously 
Um, and, you know, in the checklist of my life, it felt like I was just kind of ticking things off along the way and everything was heading in the right direction. So, um, you know, as I said, in, in many ways, uh, I think that was a, a pretty blessed upbringing um, uh, that, that was, you know, not without challenges, obviously, but, um, you know, I think devoid of any what I would consider massive challenges, you know, really significant challenges. You know, I speak to so many of my other friends who had just had um, all sorts of different experiences in those first 30 years and think, yeah, I'm not sure that I had anything that challenging in those in those first 30 odd years, which in hindsight probably wasn't a good thing. Yeah. And I think for, for many people, you know, that's the way life would be as parents that we would love that for our kids. We would love them to grow up in a blissful world of idealism and knowing that the world is a beautiful place. But then talk to me about your mid-30s, uh, gosh, we haven't got to your 50s, <laughs> your mid-30s and just, you know, how your world started to get, for want of a better word, crumbling down around you and what really then woke you up to another whole avenue of possibility of what challenge truly looked like. Yeah, so, you know, I guess it all started on a particular night and, uh, you know, I talked about that sort of blessed life. You know, one of the parts of that blessed life was a great group of friends and uh, so I have a really great and close group of friends. Um, we've actually been playing in the same indoor cricket team together for I think it's now 21 years, maybe 22 years. And so this particular night we'd been playing indoor cricket together, having a great time. We had a grand final. We won the grand final. I was like, how good's life? You know, this is awesome. You know, got, got home. I'm all excited. Walk in the door. Uh, my wife was sitting on the end of the bed. I remember she looked up at me. She said, Brett, we need to talk. And, and it's just those words just hit me you know it was like I heard those words and I was like oh crap I, I, I didn't I didn't think crap in my head it was worse than, you know, it was, <laughs> I won't swear on your podcast I'll be good but I thought oh dear um this isn't good you know and then that led into a conversation of her saying Brett well, in fact I think the next thing she said was Brett I don't want to be in this relationship anymore and, and that just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was totally unexpected for me. Uh, once again, perhaps I was a bit naive, but I, it was totally unexpected for me. And that, and that led to a you know whirlwind of events. You know, she, within the space of three days, I'd moved out of my home. You know, she, she'd made it really clear she wanted to have space and wanted to, you know, wanted me to move out. So within three days, I'd moved out of my home. I think within three weeks, I'd found my own place. Um, and, and everything had just been turned upside down. You know, I really um, lost all sense of, who I was, I lost all sense of purpose. You know, I think, you know, my purpose up until that point had always revolved around family, you know, just wanting to create a great environment for my family, um, for my kids, wanting to, you know, provide for them and look after them and do everything I could to give them, like I said, you know, that, that best possible opportunity, that idealistic life, I guess, that we've been talking about. Um, and so, you know, at that time, I really felt like that had just been pulled out from under me, you know, that, that that was not something that was possible anymore um, and that, you know, and, and then led me to, I guess, feeling like, well, what's the point? You know, I, I couldn't, I lost the point of, you know, why was I being a chiropractor anymore? You know, why was I doing podcasts? Why was I writing books? Why was I doing really any of the things I was doing? I just kind of didn't see the point anymore. Um, and so that was, uh, that was that dark place, you know, that was, I guess, uh, I, in fact, you know, I was about to say that was my rock bottom, but it wasn't my rock bottom um, because my rock bottom came after that. And and you saw that well, Kim, but, um, you know, my response to that was to think, well, you know, 
I'm a smart guy. I've always been a good problem solver. Um, you know, I've been immersed in this world of health and wellness and personal development for a long period of time. I have heaps of tools. You know, I've learned all these different tools and strategies and books and podcasts and resources that I can do. Um, and so I'm just going to fix this problem, you know, because I'm a bloke. And that's what we do, right? If we have a problem, we fix it. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to do everything I can think of to fix this problem. And so I just kind of set about figuring out um, everything I did wrong, everything I stuffed up, every uh, error I'd made that had caused this problem and, and what I needed to do to fix it and to become a better man and to, um, and to just, you know, fix it, um, which uh, ultimately, of course, I couldn't do. Which, um, but, you know, but it was really in the process of doing that um, that I really beat myself up. You know, I came from a place of this is 100% my fault. Um, I've 100%, you know, created this problem. Um, and so I need to fix it. Um, and, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, I guess at the time for me, um, you know, there, there weren't any obvious things for, from my perspective that I had done wrong. You know, I was having challenge identifying what exactly those were. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I went into a really dark place because I took 100% of that blame and 100% of that responsibility at a time when I was feeling, you know, emotionally very vulnerable, um, lacking in self-love, lacking in probably self-respect. Um, and so that was really ultimately, I think, what took me to my rock bottom. You know, the, the dark place that I got to was not a result of what happened to me, but as a result of what I did to myself after what happened to me, I think. Talk to us a little bit about what you did do. And and if you wouldn't mind, Brett, you know, there's a lot of men that listen to this or women who are listening to this that their partners may be going through or their sons or someone they love dearly is going through perhaps what could be considered their rock bottom. And it's incredibly difficult for those of us who love our men in our lives that and women, of course, but I'm talking specifically to the masculine, the, the, the masculine energy here, how hard it is to watch. Talk to me a little bit about what you were feeling and what you were going through and if anyone around you could indeed even help you in those dark moments. Um, yeah, well, yeah, it was a feeling of just being lost um, and a feeling of being helpless, um, you know, a feeling of feeling like useless, like I couldn't, I couldn't fix it, I couldn't change it. Um, definitely feelings of being very lonely um, and and yeah, I think lost is probably the biggest word, you know, because I just didn't, um, I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do next. And so, um, you know, I, at the time, you know, I just remember, you know, everything was hard. You know, everything was a struggle. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I really didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, I, I, I'd had a couple of conversations with people, you know, who were close to me about, you know, what had happened and why it had happened. And, to be honest, it was exhausting and it was kind of embarrassing and it was it just made me feel like more of a failure. Um, and so I didn't really want to talk to anyone about it. Um, I, you know, I found it really hard, challenging. I mean, I'm a bit of an introvert at the best of times. So I found it really challenging, like going to work and talking to people and being, you know, trying to be professional and upbeat and, you know, encourage people and help them on their health journey, you know. Um, I found it really hard doing... Um, you know, podcasts and all those sort of things because I just kind of I felt a bit fake, to be honest. Um, so, you know, and I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't, 
I wasn't eating well. I mean, I think there were huge periods of time, I think, where I wasn't eating at all, really. I was eating very little. Um, I was probably exercising too much. <laughs> and then I was like, I've got to have those time to myself. What am I going to do? I was just smashing out exercise and uh, probably overdoing it, like, you know, exercising because I you know, didn't love myself rather than because I did love myself, I reckon. Um, so, yeah, that, that was, I guess, the position or the point that I was in. Um, you know, I was fairly lethargic, like, you know, getting aside from strangely exercise, getting up to do anything else just seemed like a chore, like it was really hard work. Um, but definitely, you know, in terms of love and support, Kimmy, um, you know, and this is not just because I'm on your show, obviously, but, but you uh, and probably my other great friend, JC, um, who you know well as well, were, were really the two people who were just the most amazing support for me. Um, and the most amazing challenge for me at the same time and at the appropriate time. Um, and, you know, I think as much as anything at that time, like in, in that first initial stage, um, it wasn't anything to do with anything you said or anything you did or anything of that nature. It was just the fact that you let me know you were there and that you cared. And, and that, was, you know, that was all I needed really at that time was just someone to go, I'm here and I care. And, and that made the world of difference to me. Yeah. I think for any of us in a world of pain or what I've called bathroom floor moments or times where you actually are even struggling to breathe, let alone exist, um, it's very hard. And I remember my therapist always saying, you have to feel it to heal it. There's almost a process. Do you know from a science point of view if that's what's required for the human body, the human mind, that we actually have to just let that sit however it looks, not judge it? Is there anything that you've learnt through this that we have to allow this and just let it be? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we, we know about, you know, the different sections of our brain, you know, and, and so we know those sort of primal urges and desires that we have, you know, and, and the first of those is safety, you know, and so that's the first thing that kicks in when anything like this happens, you know, is, is that real, um, that lizard brain, you know, that base of your brain stem, um, and that just says, well, I need to make sure that you're safe, you know, and so that's number one. And I think whenever any sort of stress, whenever any sort of crisis like this happens, you do feel unsafe. Um, you know, even though technically you sort of look at it and think, well, I'm not unsafe, you know, my, my life isn't in danger here. Although, you know, as we spoke about earlier off air, you know, there are many people who that isn't the case for, um, especially in our current environment, um, especially in the world around us at the moment, you know, the, where people's mental health is challenging their life. Um, and we are seeing, you know, especially among men, um, you know, huge rates of suicides, um, which are really scary and concerning, you know. So, um, you know, the first thing I think we need is to know that we're safe. And, and I think sometimes that is, you know, when there is someone there around you saying, you know, you're okay, we'll get through this, you know, I'm here for you, I'm here to support you and, and be here for you. Um, I think that that is, you know, that really important safety aspect of that, you know. And then obviously you can sort of move up from there in the brain, you know, you move up into that sort of midbrain, which is all about nourishing yourself. Um, and so that is, you know, nourishing yourself in terms of food, nourishing yourself in terms of movement, but also nourishing yourself, um, you know, emotionally. Um, and so having that, uh, you know, emotional support, I think um, it can be really important. Um, throughout that sort of stage. So, you know, knowing there are people around you to nourish uh, your heart and your, and your mind, um, I, think, I think that is part of that, you know, scientifically what we crave. And then, 
as you move forward from there, you move into that sort of frontal brain, which really craves connection and, you know, and relationships and finding your tribe. And so, um, you know, I think in each of those areas, uh, you know, neurologically, um, having someone there supporting you um, at different stages as you go along that journey, I think is really important. And how do you actually encourage someone to be open enough to know that? I mean, it's a, it's a challenging thing, as I said before, to watch someone in this space, knowing you can't say or do anything to get them out of that space, out of that mood, out of that feeling, and to actually let them know there is light, there could be a better day, there will be a better day. Yeah. But how do you actually get through to that? Or what is more important? What do we need to do when we're observing that in order to support ourselves as a witness? Yeah, so I, th- I think there's, the honest answer is there's not a lot you can do. Um, you know, in the, the only thing really you can do is, is be there for them. Um, and, and in many ways, I think the more you try and do, the, the worse you're going to make the problem. You know, the more you try and fix it and try and get them to change and try and get them to do something different, um, the more you're likely to actually, um, you know, make it worse, make them resist that and make them push back against that and make it harder for them to take those steps for themselves. So, you know, I I think the number one thing you can do is just be there. Um, And the number two thing I think you can do is just be the best version of yourself you know, as in be the role model, be the example. Um, and, and so if you're there and you're being the example, that means that, you know, when they're ready, um, then they're going to come to you and say, what, what do I do? What should I do? What do I do next? You know, mm-hmm. and so you've just got to wait and you've just got to wait for that moment and be ready when that moment comes um, and be empathetic when that moment comes. And, you know, when that moment comes, listen more and talk less you know, and, and, you know, try and draw out of that person rather than download on that person, you know, what, what the next step is for them to do as well. Because I think it's, you know, it's really easy to overwhelm someone when they're in that stressed state. It's very, very easy to get overwhelmed and very, very easy to get defensive. Um, and so it's, it's just about creating a safe space for them to come out of that bubble, I guess, when they're ready. Yeah, and and you talked about that survival, that instinct. I also think at an unconscious level, we actually have the answers within us. It's just whether or not we're willing to do the work to get there. It's whether or not we're willing to actually dig deep to feel that. Because honestly, at the end of the day, we all know heartache, heartbreak, mental and emotional um, agony is harder than even physical pain. Like physical pain, you can see your body healing and mending and you can kind of almost, and most of us would rather a physical injury than a heart injury. What would be your thoughts around how do we heal the heart and how do we actually give that the context it deserves and the time, effort, money, if it's needed or whatever those tools or strategies are? What would you say from your experience then is the way up, out, over and through that heartache? Yeah, well, it, I think definitely for me, uh, and I think this is true for most, if not all people, um, that the first step is definitely that self-love, Kimmy, and I know you'll appreciate me saying that and, and I know you'll agree with me saying that because, you know, when I tried to fix the problem without having the self-love, that, then that led to just beating myself up. You know, that led to a lot of, uh, you know, critical analysis of self, self self-loathing, self-sabotage, you know, all of those sort of things because I just wasn't in a place to to come to those solutions from a balanced perspective, you know, and to see the problem from a balanced perspective. Um, And so 
the, the first step was definitely that self-love. You know, it was about um, having the, having, essentially having the same empathy for myself that I had for others. Um, and that sounds so ridiculous. You know, it sounds like, like of course you would have, but, but I didn't. And, and I think many people don't. Um, and, you know, it's always easier to see someone else's life and to see their challenges and to see, you know, what they've had to overcome and why they're in the situation they're in and, you know, all of those ex- you know, extenuating factors that led them to end up where they are. Um, but it's often harder to see that for yourself and we often judge ourselves much more harshly. So, um, you know, one of the things I can remember doing, Kimmy, was sitting down and I actually made a list of all of the things um, that I was missing, you know, all the things that I was missing in a relationship. And so I sat down and I wrote this list of things that I, I was missing and it was like, you know, obviously physical touch, you know, it was going going out to dinner, you know, it was going to the movies, it was um, I can't even remember now. I had a whole list of things. Anyway, so I wrote all these things down. Um, and then on the next page, I wrote a list of all the ways that I could give those things to myself. Um, and so I actually came up with this list and it was hilarious. You know, I was like, well, I'm going to go and have a massage because that'll be like, you know, physical touch. That will be, you know, I was missing hugs. So I bought myself, it's embarrassing to say this, but I did. And I bought myself one of those big like bolster pillows, you know. And so at night, I would literally like go to sleep cuddled up to this bolster pillow, but it made me feel better, you know. Um, I decided I was just going to, you know, go to the movies by myself. I was going to go dancing by myself. Like I'd literally go out dancing at a nightclub. I wasn't even drinking at the time. I'd go out dancing at a nightclub till like three in the morning by myself with my eyes closed, like not even looking around and just dancing and just enjoying it. And um you know, so, so I decided to give those things to myself because I realized that I had to do that first. Um, and I also realized that if I went looking for someone else um, to fill that space, then that was going to be really unhealthy as well. So, um, so that, that was what I did. You know, I focused on that self-love first. And then, you know, from that, finding that sort of self-love again, then that was what allowed me to start um, rediscovering my purpose. You know, it was that when I actually was, was okay with myself again, um, and, and feeling whole again and, and feeling, um, you know, once again, I guess that empathy for myself again, then I was able to sort of stop and listen to myself and listen to and talk about sort of what I really wanted. Um, and, and so that was, uh, you know, that was a huge moment for me. Like I can remember the moment. Um, I actually can't remember where I was or what I was doing or anything like that, but I can remember the moment as in I can remember the feeling you know, I'm, I'm much more of a big picture person than a detailed person, but I can so clearly remember the feeling. And it was like this little light bulb just went off in my head. And I had this thought that I can still be a good dad, even though I've been divorced. And such a stupid statement, like it's in such a blindingly, you know, obvious statement, right? Uh, for I'm sure people sitting there listening to me say it, but for me, it was like life-changing. Like it was revolutionary because um, I had so many you know, ingrained thoughts and beliefs from, you know, from childhood right up of, you know, what it meant to be divorced, what it meant to be a separated family, what it meant to be, you know, just all these little things I think that I'd taken on board and all these expectations. And, and you know, having two parents who are, I'm not sure, they've been married 40, must be close to 50 years now, you know. So that, that was my sort of norm. That was my expectations. And, um, and so for me to have that realisation was, you know, um, was the start of me rediscovering my purpose and, and ultimately rediscovering a much um, healthier, more well-rounded, more empathetic purpose than I ever had before. Um, so that was definitely that sort of that next stage of flow on from there. 
Um, I don't know if you want me to go into that now. Yeah, or just, just before you do, I'm yeah. just curious. For so many of us, when we're at the depths of our despair, the last thing we want to do is think pragmatic, think big picture, think holistic, think long-term, see shiny rainbows and unicorns. It's almost like we want to tell the world to get stuffed when we're actually in that space. I'm curious how you had the insight or what triggered in you before the moment about being a good dad, but back at that part with the self-love, at what point or what happened do you think physiologically, biochemically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, what happened for you to take that massive insight and look at your life and say, this is what I need to do? Yeah. I Honestly, I, I think I hit rock bottom. You know, I, I think I just hit that point where I was just physically, mentally, emotionally so burnt out that I was just like there going, fuck, like what? So I said I was going to swear. Swear away. <laughs> Everyone else has. All right, good. But I was just like, fuck, like what the hell do I do now? Like I can't go on like this if I continue down this path I, I don't know what's going to happen but like I just I just I every ounce of my body just felt like I cannot physically keep doing this something has to change um and, and that was it I think it was like okay well yeah all right I need to I need to shift to this I need to I need to change the course I need to try and do something different because what I'm doing is clearly not working I'm really grateful you said that because as a witness to, I mean, I've also been to rock bottom, but as a witness of, of the two men in my life that are closest to me, my son and my husband, and of course, my dear friends, yourself especially, when you see someone in that whirlpool, that mosh pit of self-sabotage, self-loathing, pity, sadness, heartache, heartbreak, all of those things, you realize nothing you say or do can help except my humble belief would be is like you said, keep being there, keep showing up, just keep saying you're there or I hear you, I understand. And what I found helpful is every now and again, just plant something like, I promise you this too shall pass. I promise you you'll get through the other side, but I completely understand because no one wants to hear that they're going to be fixed, healed or come out the other side, like you say. But what I'm really excited about what you said is that sometimes and as hard as this is to say this sometimes we have to watch the people we love hit rock bottom before we know that they're going to get cracked open broken open and then be in a place of willing to do that and that's pretty tough as a friend a sister a brother a mother a father to watch that person because as we know sometimes they have dire consequences that we can't undo is there a point where you'd intervene or do you think it's still, it's mapped out and we just have to be, do the best that we can do? Uh, it's a really good question, Kimmy. Um, I, I don't know if I can answer it, to be honest. I, I think that is probably different in every single situation, you know, and, and I'm not a, you know, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, you know, I, I'm, I think there are probably situations and points and even you know, legally, sometimes there are points where you have to intervene you know, um, so it, it depends on the situation. It depends on what's going on. Um, but, but I think for the most part, you know, as much as is um, humanly possible, as much as is safe, I think the less you intervene, the better. You know, I, I think actually the, the best thing you can do, as you said, often is allow them to hit rock bottom and allow them to have the opportunity to decide that they need, that they want to change. Not that they need to change, but they want to change or they would love to change. Um, and, and, and that is a, uh, 
you know, like I said, it's a tough thing to do and it's a tough thing to watch. And, um, but, but I think that, you know, that has to get there. And, and, I th- um, and I think watching and knowing that they're making mistakes or they're doing things that aren't serving them or they're, you know, seeing people maybe that aren't the best thing for them or they're eating yeah. the wrong foods or they're over-exercising, under-exercising, it, it, you can't, I, I completely agree with you, you cannot interfere, and, and although think, you can gently say things, can't you? Absolutely. You know, I, I think you can definitely... Um, well, I, I think the best thing you can do is ask great questions yes. rather than gently say things, you know, yes. like, how's that working for you? You know, it's <laughs> my favorite, the good old Dr. Phil, you know, how's that working for you? And, <laughs> and I ask that all the time and I love that question. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing we need to remember is that, you know, when we say that's not working for you, that's not serving you, that's not helping you, that's not right for you, you know, the bit that needs to go on the end of that is like, in my opinion, you know. Because we forget that that's just our perspective on what's going on and, and what we think is right for them um, may not be right for them. And what we think is so totally wrong for them might just be the exact thing that they need in that point, space and time to do, to learn the lesson they need to learn to become the person they want to be, you know. And so, so often we have our own opinion of what others should be, could be, would be doing um, and it's it doesn't serve them, you know. It, it's actually not helping them um, because we're not them. We don't know. We we don't have all of the available information. We don't get their cultural background. We don't get their upbringing. We don't get their human experiences they've had leading up until this point. We don't know what lessons they need to learn. We don't know what you know what blessings there are in those you know train crashes we are looking at, you know, um, and, and, you know, I, I can honestly say that in my life, you know, that um, the, you know, the, the first, you know, whatever it was, 12 years, 300 and odd days of my marriage, you know, I, I probably learned more in the last week of my marriage than I did in the first 13 years, you know, um, and I'm so glad it happened, you know, and it was an absolute blessing for me and the learning and the growth and the development that came from that, um, you know, I would never give up uh, in spite of all the pain that happened, you know. And, and similarly, you know, other relationships I've, I've had since then, um, you know, and some of those have been challenging in their own ways as well. And But, you know, I, I've had relationships that have been, you know, a couple of years uh, that have taught me far, far more than, once again, a, a relationship that was 13 years. You know, I've learned more about myself in that brief space of time um, than I had in, in years and years before that. So, um, you know, it's, it's our, our, our external perspective isn't always reality and we need to be humble enough to remember that. And that's why I think rather than passing judgment, we're always better off asking questions um, and trying to draw, as you said before, you know, I, th- I firmly believe that all of the wisdom exists within that person and everything they need exists within them um, and our job as a friend is not to tell them what they need to do or what they should be doing or what they could be doing, but to ask them, you know, what the wisdom inside of them is telling them and, and, and to help draw that out in the right way at the right time. I just love it and I think it's profound and I think this podcast in particular will be huge help to anybody watching or even going through heartache, heartbreak. Kim, can I add something to that as well? Because. Yeah. One of the comments that I keep getting uh, about my book um, is that, you know, it's great to hear this from a guy, you know, and it's great to have a guy who's willing to share this or to talk about this or to experience this. And, 
And, and the comment often follows up, well, this X guy that I know could never do that. And that really grates on me. And so I think as a society, we very much pigeonhole people and we pigeonhole groups of people. Um, and, and I think it's been really, I think, challenging. You know, I, th- I think the last probably couple of decades as a man have been challenging in terms of our identity um, and in terms of that, that pigeonholing that occurs. You know, I, th- I think we've in some ways improved in terms of the way we perhaps pigeonhole women um, and there's a long way to go there, I think, as well. Um, but I think we've probably improved less in terms of the way we pigeonhole men as well. And so I, I just want to, um, you know, encourage everybody to understand that I'm just an ordinary guy and if I can do it, every guy can do it. And that, that, that opportunity exists. I think that wisdom exists within every guy um, to be able to do the work and to be able to, you know, bounce back from rock bottom in whatever way they see fit. Um, and so we need to resist the urge to um, presume what they can and can't do. Yeah, and, and I'd add to that, or not, yeah. because some men and women are not willing to do this or not willing to go there. And for some people, I think yeah. if we can all understand, it's actually more painful to do that than it is to stay in the story or stay in the pain of what they're in. And and as hard as that is to witness or watch or see, sometimes, you know, people have their own destinies and life choices, don't they? And and for some people that could be a lifetime of challenge and pain and anguish and repeated processes and things. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, look, you said step one was to come out of this to help heal the heart was self-love. You made yourself a list. You had more empathy for yourself and you learned to have greater ideals And then out of your list, you actually started to partake in that list with yourself, which I really want to just say that's admirable and amazing. And I remember, yeah, I bet, I bet, (laughs) Uh, but super cool. And I remember when Danny was going through his pain and anguish, you know, he's not necessarily a journal writer or things like that, but one of the things he did at his darkest times coming out was he got a Wayne Dyer book or a Deepak Chopra or whatever, and he'd open a book on any page and the quote that stood out to him, his daily mission was to write down a quote that meant something to him every day. And he did that, I think, for six months. And that was powerful and profound and easy. You know, it was easy for him. When I say easy, it was easier thing to do than to actually go and do, you know, hours and hours of therapy. But just taking actionable steps like that, that feed your heart and soul, I think is amazing. You then said that you started to rediscover your purpose and feel whole again. And um, your big aha was when you thought you could still be a good dad, even from a distance. What else did you do? Well, yeah, I I think for me, getting my head around my purpose was crucial before I did any of that other additional stuff. So, you know, before I went and, and, you know, I didn't do Wayne Dyer, but I did a lot of, um, you know, work, Byron Katie's the work, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But for me, before I did that, it was really crucial that I rediscovered my why, that I figured out why I wanted to do that so that I was doing it with the right intent, so that I was pushing myself in the right direction to, you know, kind of create the life that I wanted to live. So, so once again, a big part of that was that understanding that I could still be a good dad. Um, and, and, you know, part of that was, you know, obviously... Uh, fighting to have my kids 50-50, which, which was a, you know, a drawn-out, well, well, I think a drawn-out process. I know others, it takes much longer than it took me. But, you know, for me, it was three years um, to get to that stage where I was able to have that, um, you know, access to my kids 50-50, which was really, really important to me. 
um, and really challenging for me. You know, I found as a dad for trying to get kids 50-50, it, it felt rightly or wrongly, it felt like a system that wasn't geared towards that result um, and, and definitely a system where that result was almost the best I could ever possibly hope for. So if everything went right, that was the result I would get. And if anything didn't quite go right, I'd get less than that, you know. And I found that challenging, you know. I don't deal well with um, rules or being told that things are because they are, you know. And so I found that very challenging to uh, be confronted by that. But um, so that was a big part of it for me. And then, you know, a big part of what I did, a big part of the reason why I always have done what I've done in terms of whether it's, you know, writing papers, writing books, doing podcasts, doing talks, was this idea that I wanted to create the best world possible for my kids to grow up in. Like that was kind of always a big part of my why. And so once again, I realized that not only was that still um, important to me, but that was actually now even more important than ever before because now I've got my kids 50% of the time and the other 50% of the time they're out there in the wide world, you know. And so it it sort of occurred to me that if I could have less influence on them directly, then I wanted to have more influence on them indirectly. And so that sort of really inspired and ignited my passion to um, to keep going out and, and doing my books and my podcasts and my mentoring programs and all those things. That, and that's just become an even bigger driver for me as a result of that. Um, and then the third part of my why, the, the thing that I really lost along the way, it was the new bit that I added in there, um, which was having fun. And it, it occurred to me that I'd just become too serious you know, that I'd just been so caught up in, I don't know, in life, in parenting and work and, and all those other, you know, doing all admirable things that I wanted to do and that I was passionate about, but I'd kind of somewhere along the way had lost my cheekiness. I'd lost my sense of fun. And so it became really important to me to, um, to re- reinvigorate that sort of sense of fun in everything I did. And so, you know, the classic midlife crisis, you know, went out and bought myself a motorcycle. It was just, it was just one example, but I was like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if anyone thinks about having a midlife crisis. I just don't care. I love riding a motorbike. It's so much fun. Screw it. I'm just going to go and I'm going to get one and I don't care what anyone else thinks. And, uh, and so I did, you know, and, and part of that was the, you know, going, da- going dancing, going, you know, just doing fun things um, and just being, being more playful, being more cheeky. So, um, that was that was that sort of purpose, you know. And so then once I, re- I guess once I rediscovered that purpose, then everything else was able to sort of flow on from that. Then, then you know, I, I always think that when you really understand your purpose, the actions that you need to take next are really quite self-evident. You know, that, that when you use that as a filter for every decision you make, then the decisions themselves are really easy because it's like they either align with your purpose or they don't. And then if it aligns with your purpose, it's like, yeah, great, let's go. You know, and so that that then led to a real element of um, you know curiosity, uh, where I was able to sort of then look curiously at the world, you know, and sort of see, well, okay, well, you know, what are the options available to me now? What next? What can I do? What can't I do? What do I need to do? Um, you know, what do I need to take responsibility for? Um, and once I've taken responsibility for that, do I need to change it? Or in fact, is that just you know me? Do I not need to change it? Um, and then obviously, then what do I not take responsibility for? What can't I control? What was outside of my control that I can just let go and not keep beating myself up about, you know? Um, and so, yeah, definitely for me at that stage, then um, the work by Byron Katie was just massive for me. Um, and so, um, 
I, uh, you know, I'd read her book. I listened to the audio book, which in my opinion is even better. Um, and then I downloaded the worksheets. So she has these sheets online and you can fill them in and, and they ask these sort of four questions and you go through and it really causes you to analyze um, all of the things that you're judging in the world and, and to see the sort of, um, now, as kind of we said before, to see the balance, you know, to see the, the light side and the dark side, to see the good and the bad, to see where, to see where you do the same things you're crapping on about other people doing to you and um and to just get a bit more perspective on life i think and so you know i probably filled out hundreds of those sheets i really i had a whole folder full of them and um and i just did it over and over and over again and i found it incredibly incredibly useful so um you know that that enabled me i think to just get a much better perspective on life um and you know, it's amazing once you start do when once you do get that better perspective, like once you're more empathetic towards yourself, and you've and you've got a clearer idea of who you are and what you want to do, um, then all of a sudden you're able to see the world around you more clearly again. You know, and I all of a sudden look around and I see, you know, my great friend Damien Christoph, who has been separated years and years ago, who has a child, who is an awesome dad, you know, who's just doing such a great job, has an amazing relationship with his son. And be like, oh, I never really noticed that before. You know, I never really that like, I noticed it, but I never made the connection before. You know, and so then you're like, okay, like there's a there's a role model. There's something I can sort of you know work towards. And um, and so you know th those sort of actions and steps and and ideas start to unfold unfold um, somewhat effortlessly from there. In, you know, in terms of not that it doesn't require effort because everything requires effort. You know, there, there's no there's no getting around the fact that you've got some hard work to do to bounce back, you know, and there's some stuff you've got to do and there's some you know, things, self-analysis that has to happen and there's some hard conversations that have to happen and, and all of those sort of things, you know, that that's just reality. Don't expect it to be easy because it won't be, but it'll be worth it. Um, and, and that's sort of that, that next stage, I think, was that curiosity um, and, and that, uh, that empathy, you know, is when you're coming from that place, then, you know, you can start to, I guess, rebuild without the same expectations that were there in the first place. And, and certainly, I think for me, a huge part of that was without the expectation that everything was going to be good or everything was going to be nice. Um, and without the expectation that I was going to be good or I was going to be nice, you know, and I think that was you know, just a massive weight off of my shoulders that like, it's okay to get it wrong sometimes. It's okay to stuff up sometimes. It's okay to get pissed off sometimes. You know, it's okay to get angry sometimes. Um, that, that actually all of those emotions are totally okay um, as long as you don't get stuck there, you know, that, that you're actually able, able, in fact, it's way healthier, it's way better off to just get it out and move on as long as you're, you know, doing that in an appropriate and, and healthy and safe way. But, you know, um, rather than bottling things up for decades. Amazing. I, I love your book. That's just been launched, Rock Bottom, How to Not Only Survive But Thrive Through Personal and Professional Stress. It's phenomenal. I want to go back a little bit just, um, just so that people can hear if they read this book and when they get through it, that there was a time when you were very not only vulnerable and down and out and feeling very sad and sorry for yourself, but you were almost wallowing in a pity party. And I would just love for you to share your experience of what occurred on this particular morning, <laughs> this breakfast that we went on, um, just 
it's in case people read it and think I'm not very nice. No, just um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah. As, as I said before, you know, yourself and JC both were fantastic at um, you know loving and supporting me when I needed it, uh, but also challenging me when I needed it, and, and you know, at, at just the right time in the most beautiful ways. And so. Um, I, I, I recognised as I was talking just before that, that we glossed over this one particular uh, point in time, which was a significant one, which I do talk about in the book. But, you know, I, I think essentially I'd, I'd gotten to that rock bottom. You know, I, I knew I was at that rock bottom um, and I'd got to the stage where I sort of knew that something needed to change. And I think this is the key to this whole conversation is that, um, you know, in your wisdom, Kimmy, you, you knew where I was, you know, and, and I often say that you loved me enough and cared enough about me to know where I was. And I think that was the, the magic in this moment is that because you'd been there by my side, um, you knew that I'd hit my rock bottom, but you also knew that I was ready to change, you know, that I was ready to take that next step. And so, you know, we were sitting there at a breakfast. I think we were actually at the Wellness Summit, I have a feeling. And uh, I think we may have just been for a run, I think, or maybe even done a running workshop. And, uh, and Kim and I are sitting there talking and I'm talking about, you know, woe is me. You know, the, this is what's going on with my divorce. This is what's going on with my custody challenges. This is what's happening at work. This is what's happening, you know, my relationships. Um, and, and it was definitely a real sort of pity party. Um, but at the same time, I was really um, aching for solutions. You know, like I was at that point where I was looking for solutions, um, but I was still at that point where I was looking for someone else to fix it for me, you know, and, and that was the key, I think. And so Kimmy's just looked, looked straight at me and said, Brett, you just need to harden the fuck up. And I, I, I think I've written it two different ways in my book, actually. But I had to correct it. And I can't honestly remember whether it was man the fuck up or harden the fuck up, but it was one of the two. And I can't remember which one I ended up writing in the book because I couldn't remember which one it was. But either way, it just like belted me between the eyes. <laughs> like, and coming from Kim, who is just the kindest, gentlest soul, who is always so positive and loving and supportive, it was just an even bigger whack between the eyes. Like It literally just felt like someone had whacked me in the forehead with a shovel. And I was like, oh, shit. And, and, you know, I often talk about this is what we call a pattern interrupt, you know, and sometimes you just need a pattern interrupt. Sometimes you're just kind of stuck in your cycle and you just need something to snap you out of it, you know. And so, and that's what it was for me. You know, it was just that pattern interrupt. Be like, oh, okay. Yep. Good. You know, I've, you're right. I, I've hit rock bottom. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to move. And no one else is going to bloody do it for me. I need to freaking do it. You know, I need to take responsibility for making it change, you know. And, and so that is, as you said, that that was that kind of time of saying, okay, well, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me, what, what the hell am I going to do? Well, how am I going to fix this? And so, uh, you know, once again, I think the crucial thing for me was that I had gotten to that stage where I had hit rock bottom. Um, I had started to do the work again of loving myself. And so I was ready, you know, I was ready to change. And, and that I think was the, the whole key to that moment. And, and as I said, I think the fact that you were, loving enough to know that I was ready and wise enough to, you know, hit me in the right place at the right time with the right speed um, was, you know, was perfect. Could not have been better placed. I, I thank you for those beautiful words. You don't know, but maybe at an unconscious level you do know. And all I could see was this beautiful man, this beautiful soul 
taking himself further and further down into a hole, a black hole, yet he has so much to give, so much to live for, so many beautiful things, let alone the opportunity for, and I think I even said this to you at the time, you know, I'm not suggesting you need a new relationship right here, right now, but you have to be the man that you'd like to be to have a great relationship. You're not going to attract a beautiful relationship in this space. Um, You're not going to attract the right person in this space or the right beings or things or support crew in this space. And I think if any of us get the opportunity to deliver (laughs) any kind of statement like that, let's hope it's done in the right way at the right time in the right place. But, But whatever it is, sometimes that pattern interrupt comes from the person's pain of witnessing that yeah. person in that pain. And, you know, at some point I, I, I remember one day being so a diff, totally different scenario, but I was so nervous about speaking at the wellness summit beside myself. I had diarrhea. I was absolutely beside myself. Didn't think I was good enough to be on that stage. And I'm in the bathroom and Cindy O'Meara comes in and I just went, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she literally slapped my face, like not hard, <laughs> but she slapped it and went, oh, for God's sake, get your shit together. This audience needs to hear your message. You need to get on that stage and bloody well get out there and do what you meant to do. And oh my God, same, same, right? Someone that loves me and respects me and all of those sorts of things. I think you've even done it to me as well. But I think that real sabotaging belief, that hole that we get into is an easy hole. And I don't say easy, um, you know, lightly. It's just easier to be in a hole than it is to work our way out. So talk to me about the book and about what's moved on and the beautiful rainbow, unicorns, life that you've created for yourself since. Because this is where, you know, I've heard Tony Robbins say it, the comeback story. I've heard, you know, we watch all good romance movies for this. We we want to hear the other side, Mr. Brett Hill. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I guess, the other side kind of, um, and, and the book really started in 2016. All right. So 2016, um, we'll go heading to the Wellness Summit, and I decided I was going to kind of share my journey for the first time. So, um, you know, I, I got up on stage um, to share this process, you know, to share what uh, had happened to me and how the dark place I'd gone to as a result of that. But obviously, then, you know, what I felt, you know, had worked and not worked for me in terms of getting my life back on track. And, and it was really all of these things we've been speaking about and probably a little bit more. Um, and so, um, you know, people can, I, I do have that um, that video up actually right now on my social media. So if people want to see that entire talk, they can go and see it there. Um, but, but that was the first time I'd really shared that journey. And what happened was I, I walked off stage and we had a break and I went out into the sort of exhibitor area and there was just this like queue of people who came up to talk to me. Like I'd never had that experience after a talk ever. There was just like, it felt like it was like every single person in the room come up wanting to talk to me. And they're all just like, oh my God, that was so good. I can so relate to that. I've so been in that position before. Thank you. I got something out of that. And, and I guess, you know, as you know, there are not many guys in the room at a wellness summit. And so it felt, I think like every one of the guys who was there came up and said something similar to me, uh, but it was the girls as well. You know, the, the, the women were really relating to, I guess, being able to see the other side of the story and, and to hear it from a man's perspective and to hear how it is for a man and to, and to sort of relate to that journey as well. Um, so, you know, it was a real eye-opener for me. You know, we, as we always do on the Sunday night, we sat down, we read all the feedback for the, 
talk and I was just overwhelmed at the the feedback I got about that talk and so it did it made me realize that this was a story that I just had to share like it wasn't even a you know maybe I could or maybe I will or you know it was like I have to do something and so that was what led me to write the book was I just realized that it was really needed um, and that it was a voice that people hadn't heard um, and, and a perspective that people hadn't heard before that they really would get a lot out of and so that became uh, ultimately the book. Um, and the, the thing people didn't realize about that talk was that the last slide in that talk, so I'd, you know, I've sort of gone through, I think, with you most of the topics that we sort of talked about in that talk. You know, about, um, you know I talked a little bit more about, I think, um, you know, taking action um, and, and taking responsibility because um, those were sort of, you know, once we'd sort of gone through that curiosity phase, then it was like, well, okay, it's, you know, I've gathered all the information, but if I don't take responsibility for the next phase, and particularly if I don't take any action around that, you know, if I just sort of think that, well, if I just think good thoughts, it's all going to happen for me, um, then it wasn't going to go anywhere. But, um, and so that was all included into the talk. But what people didn't realize was that up until two nights before that talk, the last slide wasn't there. And so, Two nights before the, uh, that talk that I did was actually the first date I went on with my now wife, Stephanie. And so, um, well, I was going to say no one knew, but they did. Um, we thought no one knew that we'd gone on a date or a couple of nights before the Wellness Summit and it was just one of those moments. You know, you spoke before about how when you've done the work, like when you've put in the hard yards and you've prepared yourself and you've gone through the shit and you've built yourself up the other side and you've gained that perspective and you've gained that empathy and you've gained that wisdom and you're ready. And then when you meet someone else who's been through the same and or not the same, but, you know, had their own experiences and has done the work and has done the, you know, gone on the journey, then by the time you get to meet each other, it's just like, you know, bang. And it's, you just know, you know, and it's just easy. And so that was the experience I'd had, you know, two nights before the Wellness Summit. So the, the final slide, it made me realise that my talk was incomplete. And so the final slide that I put into my talk at that stage and obviously the, what is now the final chapter in the book um, was to keep believing in miracles um, because, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in miracles and, and not because I'm a, um, I'm not a particularly spiritual person. I'm definitely not a very religious person. And so that kind of notion of miracles, uh, I'm very pragmatic. Like I'm very, you know, as you know, I'm a bit of a blokey bloke and I like my footy and my cricket and that sort of stuff. So this idea of believing in miracles, um, I guess, wasn't an idea that came naturally to me and was something I resisted for like at least the first half of my life. Um, and then I came across this quote, which was like, uh, you know, I choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help me. Um, now that's attributed all over the internet to various different people. So I don't know exactly who said it the first time. And there seems to be a bit of debate about that. Um, but even then I sort of read that and I'm like, yeah, that's nice, but that's probably not me. I'm not that spiritual. And then somebody, and I can't actually remember who this was, but somebody described it to me and they essentially said, well, look, you've kind of got two choices, right? You either choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help you or you don't. Okay. And the reality is if you choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help you, it's going to help you because you're going to see the opportunities that you may otherwise have missed. You're going to see the chances that come along. You're going to look for the miracles that are out there in the world. And as a result, you're going to take the actions that lead you along that path. And so what I realized, you know, from my, you know, I'd done studied chiropractic. I knew a lot about neurology. And so it made sense to me that if neurologically, that's how I'm sort of priming my brain and my nervous system, 
then I'm actually yeah, I'm going to see those opportunities and have a chance to take those opportunities when they come along. And so um, I decided to choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help me, not because I necessarily thought it was right or wrong, but because I thought that it was the right thing for me to do. Um, and so that was my kind of pragmatic approach to believing in miracles. Um, and that meant that, you know, in that time and a place when the miracle came along and I was ready and I'd done the work, um, that I was able to create a, you know, a wonderful new relationship. So, um, you know, so I am now uh, remarried, which I never thought I would do, uh, married by the beautiful celebrant Kim Morrison, who did a wonderful job. And, um, and now have a third child, which I never thought I would have. <laughs> and, you know, once again, the interesting thing about we, we did the work, you know, before, um, before we even had a relationship, but it's certainly before we got married, before we had additional kids. And so, you know, Steph and I had had conversations around this. You know, we'd been very, you know, for me, in terms of that curiosity, you know, honesty is massive for me. Um, and so just laying everything out on the table is massive for me. So, you know, we had conversations and, and one of the conversations I can distinctly remember having with Steph and, and in fact, one of the things I'd done was I'd found some magazine article uh, which was like the 42 questions you should ask someone before you get into a relationship or something, or 40 things you need to look for before you get in a relationship. Something like, anyway, I'd found this article. I'd cut out the 42 questions. I'd, in fact, I might even have it right here. I'd pasted each of them onto oh, two. Oh my God. Um, I'd pasted each of them onto an A4 page. I can't believe I've got this right here like this. Okay. And then I'd, I'd, stuck, I'd glued it in and then I'd written out my answers and I'd literally written out everything I wanted in a partner. Um, and, you know, when I cross-referenced Steph against my checklist, it was quite scary how accurate it was. Um, but, and one of the things I remember that we didn't quite line up on was having kids. And so I'd written in there, in fact, maybe I'll even read it to you because that'll be, uh, Go on. Give, give me one sec. Hang on a sec, I'll find this for you because it's there. But, but you know, with this idea that, um, oh, my God, such funny questions, right? Some of them are so short, my answers. Like, it's like, does it matter how tall they are? I was like, no. <laughs> um, but, oh, my God, I'm going to have to find it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe we need the list, the 40-question list. Is this oh, in your book? Um, the, 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 no, the list isn't in my book. I have got it somewhere. I can find it for you. I'll uh, I'll send it to you. But oh, oh if you're God, I reckon I, I reckon every listener is going to be going. What are the questions? What are the questions? Oh my God, I could go through all of them. Does it matter if they can cook? Does it matter yeah. if they're messy or neat? Does it matter if they want to live in the city or the country? Here we go. Okay, so this was the question: Do you want a partner who wants kids? Here's my answer: um, More kids. I said, not really. Um, if if she has an amazing relationship and parents well together and she desperately wants them, then I probably would. That was my wow. answer. Wow. And then I had answers about whether she has kids and, and I had an answer about my kids. And so I said, you know, I want someone who I can share my life with. My kids are a massive part of my life and I want someone to share that with. Someone who makes it easier, not harder. Someone who's interested in my kids, in a, in a, who interacts with my kids in a loving way. Someone who enjoys spending time with us. Someone who isn't jealous of the time I spend with my kids and someone with a passion for raising healthy kids. So, you know, obviously Steph ticked all of those boxes. Um, but the, the reason I brought that up was the honesty thing, right? So it was like we actually, because we'd been through the shit and we'd done the work, you know, I wasn't going to gloss over and say, yeah, I'm fine with having more kids if you want to have more kids. I was like, well, no, actually, this is where I'm at, you know, and I'm just going to be totally upfront with you that this is where I'm at. 
um, just so that you know that if you know if that's the path we choose to go down, then you know there's going to be challenges around that, and that's okay. But we're we're going in with an open mind and an open communication, and this is that whole thing about you know not avoiding the dark side, not avoiding the difficult conversations. You know, it was like a I definitely at some stage along the line made an absolute pledge to myself that in whatever relationship I ended up in the future. I was always going to have that difficult conversation, that I was never going to just go with the flow, that I was going to actually have that conversation and let the cards fall where they lay because that was hugely important for me in terms of me being me. And, and, the, and what, the, the, what you realise, which is blindingly obvious once you realise it but you miss it beforehand, is that if I'm not being me, then it makes it impossible for me to find someone who likes me. <laughs> and that's so obvious, but it's so important that if I'm spending my whole life pretending to be someone else, trying to please everyone else, trying to do things for everyone else, then I'm going to find someone as a partner who likes that. But they're not, they're not going to like me if I just all of a sudden change and start being me, or they may not anyway. You know, So having those difficult conversations, I think was the point I was trying to make, was really, really important. But um, what we were talking about before I got sidetracked was miracles. And so, you know, what I believe though is that um, you do the work to create the place, to create the space for the miracle to occur. You know, the, the miracle isn't something that just comes out of the blue. The miracle is what happens when, you know, preparation meets opportunity. I agree. I completely agree. And I love the story. And marrying you two was one of the highlights of my life, one of my most favorite weddings ever. And I have to be honest with you to see the two of you come together, knowing what you've been through, both you and Steph, she has her own story, um, to see the two of you come together and her love and her absolute reverence for you and the desire that you were everything she was looking for and knowing that she was what you had been looking for and to see two people come together that really are, you know, synchronistic souls is some of the most beautiful things that we as friends and family love to witness. And yeah. I just want to say hand on heart, your wedding was stunning. I love the fact that your wedding was done on an unbelievable budget and yet it looked like one of the fanciest, most extraordinary <laughs> weddings we'd ever been to. Um, it was just so much fun. I feel like you know if there was any other messages that you wanted to get across because I realized that you know I could have you for hours we could talk for hours and hours but if there was any other messages you wanted to get across either from the book uh, with what you're about or what you'd give to someone either going through the problem or witnessing someone going through heartache problems or, or any sort of problem what else would you want this beautiful audience to hear? Oh, well, I think the number one thing, and, and you know I talk about this in my book but I particularly talk about this and help people with this in my mentoring is that you know, you are more resilient than you've been led to believe. You know, you're more resilient than you ever thought possible um, and that it all exists within you, uh, that it's all there. And sometimes you just need to, you know, have the right person and the right community to help you draw it out, um, but it's all there. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the opportunity that is there for you. You know, every bit of resilience that you've ever seen in anyone else around you that you've admired and that you've desired and that you've looked for, um, it all exists within you. And, uh, and so I firmly believe that um, you can draw that out. You know, if, you, if you'd love me to help you do that, then my Exercising Resilience Mentoring Program is probably for you. Um, and at the moment, you can try that for 30 days for free if that's what you want to do uh, by going to exercisingresilience.com. Um, but, it, but it's there. It exists regardless of 
what's going on in your life, regardless of your situation, regardless of your past experience, regardless of whether you're male or female, um, you know, it's there, it exists within you in, in ways that you never thought possible and, and it can be utilised and drawn out. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because, you know, mentorship is something that I think is growing, that in a fairly kind of freaky kind of unknown world that we live in, uh, particularly for those of us that like to know the structure, the the planning and the, and the forward of our lives and what we're actually doing. It's it's challenging, and yeah. and now more than anything, it's on a global scale. But well, and uh, I think rather than being something that's growing, I think it's something that we're returning to. Uh, yeah, you know, I think mentorship is something that was just built into our culture and built into our societies um, in such a beautiful way. You know, it was just the way of the world. If you were, you know, centuries ago, you know that there that there were built-in mentors in your tribe there were built-in systems of mentoring there were built-in challenges along the way to help facilitate that mentoring you know all of that was just part of the way of the world that's been lost um, and so i think what we're doing is not creating something new but returning to something wise I love that. And the wisdom of experience, the wisdom of of aging, the wisdom of our culture and what we go through, we grow through, I think is just one of the most beautiful things we can pass on. And having been in your world for, you know, a decade, if not more now, and certainly considering you a brother from another mother, Mm -hmm. I would absolutely just love to say hand on heart, not only congratulations for the book, because I know how hard it is to write a book or how much time it takes to write a book, but also for the fact that you have action steps in there and it's not just a story it's a story as a metaphor which becomes an action point and plan for you to take action which you've mentioned many times throughout this podcast how important it is to you can't sit there and let your life just get better and I think in my book in my work I talk about that as self-discipline that it does take an effort and energy to do this you've mentioned a few quotes that you love and I'm just wondering is there any other quote that you would love to finish on today Oh, well, my favourite quote, I did a talk on this at the summit a couple of years ago, which is, and the thing I love most about this quote now when I share this story is at the time I didn't realise where I'd got it from or why it had influenced me. It turned out later, as my mum reminded me, that she used to have it on the back of the toilet door. And the quote she used to have on the back of our toilet door as we grew up was, be silly, be honest, be kind. And I just love that quote and it just speaks to me and speaks to how I want to live my life and, um, you know, the silliness is that sort of fun side of it. You know, the honesty is that brutal honesty, which I think is um, essential um, for having a, a quality life and a quality relationship. And, and then that kindness um, and importantly, kindness, not just to others, but kindness to yourself, um, I think is just that crucial ingredient without which, um, you know, nothing else works. And so that is such a simple quote, but just a quote that I absolutely love and aim to live by. And, uh, yeah, just one that I love from the back of mum's dunny door. (laughs) I love it. I love it. If we wanted to get a copy of the book, Rock Bottom, which would be the most amazing book to give for Christmas. Valentine's Day is coming up, obviously, after Christmas, whenever you hear this podcast, birthdays. I think it's just a brilliant book, not only to give to someone who's going through a challenging time, but also to me, it's a book that's for someone coming out the other side to honour how far they've come. And also for those that haven't even hit rock bottom in order to prepare us. I think you touch on that. I I, I think, you know, I think so often, and I talk about this in the book and I talk about this on mentoring, so often we wait till we hit rock bottom before we decide to do something about it. 
And, you know, as a chiropractor, I see this in terms of people's health all the time and they wait until they can't walk before they decide to come in and see us and do something about it. But if we can you know, be a little bit more proactive and a little bit more preemptive, um, that would just be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Wouldn't it? How do we get a hold of it? So you just head to rockbottombook.com.au. That's the easiest place. Um, that'll take you to my website. You can purchase it there and, um, yeah, and, and enjoy it. And if you love it, you can leave a review there as well. Of course we will. And I feel very privileged that Danny and I got to write the foreword for this book. And oh, I remember sitting in a cafe in Paris writing that foreword. I just want you to know. Um, <laughs> so I remember the rain was falling. I had a beautiful croissant, even though I don't eat wheat. Um, I had this beautiful coffee and I sat there writing that beautiful foreword and texting Danny going, is this how you'd say it? What else would you say? And, and he was, I think, in Dubai. So it was a yeah. global experience writing Amazing. that. Um, so Rock bottombook.com.au if we want to follow you on social media or your website anywhere else to go yes so uh, my website is drbretthill.com if you want to find out about the mentoring that's exercisingresilience.com and as I said you can sign up there for a free 30-day trial of the mentoring Um, and then uh, my podcast obviously is on the wellness couch um, so you can find that there. And his social media is just at Dr. Brett Hill. So Facebook and Instagram. I don't really use Twitter. There are too many nasty people there. So Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Brett Hill. And, uh, and I post in both of those pretty regularly. Um, and I guess This Week in Wellness is on, is on the same um, yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Let's not forget that you were also one of the trio who started the Wellness Couch eight, nine years ago with the Wellness Guys podcast, which went for many years, which then introduced Cindy O'Meara, Karen Smith and I on Up For A Chat, where we got to be the second podcast on the Wellness Couch, which I still to this day feel incredibly humbled that we recorded 376 podcasts, I think, over seven years, which also led me down to doing something I never thought I had the courage, (laughs) skill or ability to do, which is now to host the Self Love podcast. Podcast. Thanks to you and Marcus P.S. pushing me and pushing me. What a privilege to now oh, hold the and, mic and interview you. And your wonderful mentoring, Kimmy. The, the mentoring you've done with our tribe at the Wellness Breakthrough has just been exceptional. And to see you doing it with your tribe now is truly exciting. And just uh, last night, in fact, we were doing an event for the Wellness Couch and one of the attendees was raving to us about how amazing your mentoring has been for her and just the immense changes that she's seen in her life. So um, credit to you, Kimmy. You're doing wonderful, wonderful work. Oh, well, you know, thank you for being the light in order to to help me see what I can do. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best with Rock Bottom. I love you dearly. (laughs) And I am so looking forward to these borders all opening so that we can all hang and play together with that beautiful wife and little boy of yours and those other two munchkins who are just getting bigger by the moment. But um, from my heart to yours, thank you for being on the Self Love Podcast. I love you, Kimmy. Thank you so much for having me on board. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Foster Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.